Good morning. My name is Pastor Mark, and uh, I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. And man, we're excited that you're here this morning. Uh, even if you're here to uh, escape your 52 degrees house, 52 degree house right now, because uh, you still do not have power, and you heard the church has power, and so you were like, "I'm going to come to church because it's warm, and I can't watch it online because there's no internet at the church." Even if that's okay, man, we're so excited that you're here to join us, especially if you're new, and, and we're just honored that you're here with us if you're new. Uh, you decided to give up a portion of your Sunday morning and, and come out here and, and hang out with us and get to know us a little bit, see what we're about. We're just honored to have you here. We're excited that you're here with us. We prepared for you and prayed for you. We're just glad you're here today. Um, this morning we are in the second part of a brief three-week series called Necessary Endings that's based off a book by Dr. Henry Cloud by that same name. And in that book, Dr. Henry Cloud talks a lot about bringing certain things in our lives to an end. And, and we were talking a lot about relationships throughout this series, although there are necessary endings in other areas of our life, maybe to habits or, or to a job, maybe even at times to a church. And Pastor Chris kicked off our series last week by talking about necessary endings inside of friendships. He did a great job of just showing us that endings are natural and, and that they should be a part of our life. And there are times when there are endings that are necessary, even in the areas of friendships. And, and this week, we're going to look at romantic relationships. And next week, Pastor Chris is going to wrap up that series um, by talking about, wrap up this series by talking about uh, necessary endings in the context of family relationships. But this week, as we focus on romantic relationships, we're going to be looking both at dating relationships and at marriage relationships uh, equally. And we're going to look at some biblical principles for romantic relationships, how it applies to both marriages and, and dating relationships. Romantic relationships are a huge part of our life and a massive part of our culture. Um, even as a kid, there was an enormous amount of pressure on me to be with somebody. You know, it was like the coolest dudes had girlfriends, right? And so if you wanted to be like a cool guy, you had to have a girlfriend. So there was all of this pressure, even from like a really young age, to, to be with someone, to, to have a relationship. Uh, I remember clean back in fourth grade, I had a crush on a girl. Uh, it was probably like my first crush, right? Or at least my first crush of someone who I actually uh, had an encounter with, right, of this girl named Rachel uh, from elementary school. And I remember because I wrote her name with a marker on the back of my hand, you know, with like the little heart. Maybe you didn't do that. I did that. I did that, right? And then I went down the, I went down the slide at recess, and someone spotted that I wrote something on my hand, and they ambushed me to see who, who was written on my hand, and they told Rachel and then her and her friends uh, promptly made fun of me, um, which, that's okay, that continued from then until about 11th grade, 10th or 11th grade, right, that's same, I did stop writing on the back of my hand at some point, um, but perhaps you can, you can relate, right, I mean, it, it's funny how vivid our memory is, even from a young age, of romantic relationships, of, of draw, romantic draw to somebody else, or, or even the, the, the keen memory of rejection, it's, it's funny how that sticks to us, perhaps you can remember when you were like in your first crush or your first boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it was before you even knew what the word boyfriend or girlfriend really meant, right? And you just like, you didn't have text messages yet, so you just slid the note that says check yes or no, or, or you had the cootie catcher, right? And you just, and all of them said, will you go out with me, right? And you, you cootie catchered them directly into a relationship they didn't want to be in, um, right? Trapped by the cootie catcher. That was, there's like a narrow group of people from the 90s who understand what that means. Um, so if you don't know what a cootie catcher is, I'm sure there's some 90s kid who made a YouTube video about it, and you can look it up. Um, 
But it's funny. It's funny to sort of compare like, uh, a, like a childhood a man, elementary school crush to like a, a real, true, romantic, a mature dating or marriage relationship. I, and I realize it's a stretch. Um, but I just want to make the point that, man, this stuff starts young in us. That we have a drive from a very early age to be in some type of a romantic relationship. And in fact, God made it that way. It's not a, a bad feeling. God made us to have those feelings. In fact, God set the expectation for romantic relationships in the very fabric of his creation. From the very beginning, he intended for us to have romantic attraction to one another. In fact, let's look at the, at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Right after God created everything, he's encountering Adam, um, his, first, his first man that he created in the Garden of Eden. It says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, and still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Do you notice right at the beginning of this passage, God says that there's something that's not good. In all of his creation, everything was very good, except for one thing, and that was that the man was alone. We were created to be in romantic relationships. God gave them to us as a gift, with one exception, and that is that he's given some people the gift of singleness. The Apostle Paul outlined what that looks like for us in a letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth. It said this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing, what the Lord's, doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he is treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin, but if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passions, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancée does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. So outside of this instruction for people who are specifically called for romantic, we are all specifically called to be single, we are all built for romantic relationships. So outside of feeling like you're called to be single and you have the ability to control your passions, each one of us is called to and belongs to romantic relationships. We're called to them because they bring great fulfillment to our lives. God created them to be a blessing to us. So if romantic relationships are such a good thing and they're to be a blessing to us and we're not called to singleness, then why are we talking about them at all in a series called Necessary Endings? Why bring romantic relationships to an end in any way if we're saying that they're such a blessing and they're such a good thing and God intended for us to be in them? Well, that's today's take-home point answers that question and it's this. Unhealthy romantic relationships will derail our entire life. Unhealthy romantic relationships will derail our entire life. 
So while healthy romantic relationships are a blessing to us and bring fulfillment to us, unhealthy romantic relationships can destroy our lives and really hurt the people who are closest to us. I did not end up dating uh, Rachel from the fourth grade. Like I said, as it turns out, uh, I probably had a, a new crush the next week, and she rejected me, and, and that continued until high school. And in high school, I wanted, like, a real girlfriend, you know, like a, like a going steady. She could wear my letterman's jacket. I didn't have one because I didn't do any sports. But, um, you know, that's, I guess, like my Dungeon Dragons hoodie she could wear or something. Um, but, like, I wanted that real going steady girlfriend. And, you know, I, I was 15 to 17-year-old boy, right, so my brain worked about... 50%. I used about 30% of the 50% that worked. And so, um, although I was a Christian, I wasn't really searching for a godly relationship. But I found some girl from youth group who liked me. And so we, we went out for a, a while and uh, we tried to do our best to honor God with our dating relationship. But you, there's always you know, some regret and things that go along with that. And after a couple of years, uh, we broke up and I went into this like terrible downward spiral, you know, classic like boy too tied to a girl sobbing um, type of story. Real embarrassing, but that's just my part of my story, right? And so um, in that downward spiral of, of throwing my life in the gutter, I ended up with another girl, and it was this really unhealthy relationship, just super manipulative and, and, and really ugly. And, uh, and, and you know, I kind of got the taste of what wreckage an unhealthy romantic relationship can be in your life. I, I got to sort of get that feeling for what a bad relationship can do to you. And, and so depression, regret, guilt, low self-esteem, manipulation, these things all just kind of became part of my language, part of who I was. I had, had, for the most part, walked away from the church. I had destroyed a lot of my friendships. I had created wreckage in my family. I had gone, wreckage in her family. I, I had gone about in an unhealthy relationship, really destroying and derailing my life and, and hurting and destroying the lives of people around me. And most of us, we've, we've been there before. We can relate to it, right? We've been in an unhealthy romantic relationship, uh, maybe a relationship just a bad match for us, or, um, you know, someone who we were, we were dating someone, committed to somebody who, um, you know, they just weren't mature enough for that relationship, or they had an addiction issue, just prevented them to be able to really be in that relationship fully, or, uh, you know, p- perhaps we've been in, like, manipulative, or we've been manipulated in a relationship before, and, and used by somebody, uh, uh, maybe we've been in one of those relationships that's just, like, really unfulfilling and convoluted, we're never really sure what the commitment level is, and with the absence of commitment, the relationship is just really, really confusing and unfulfilling to us. Us. And, and some of us have married into those relationships, and because of that, we've now had to navigate some of the, the difficult and hard realities of a broken marriage, both, both legally and relationally, and, and we've been through that separation or that divorce, and it's been really, really difficult for us. And, and so we know the blessing of a, of a positive, healthy, romantic relationship, but we also, many of us, know the wreckage that an unhealthy one could cause. And the book of 1 Kings holds some really great stories uh, and wisdom about what an unhealthy romantic relationship can do in our lives and the lives of the people that we encounter. It comes from a, the reign of a man named Ahab. Ahab, son of Omrah, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omrah, did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than the kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down and worship Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. 
He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So without getting into a really thorough backstory, the nation of Israel separated into two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom retained the name Israel. And Jeroboam led that revolt and split the kingdom, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and led the people astray into pagan worship. And then a series of kings came after him, each one generally worse than the last. And Ahab is chief amongst them, one of the worst kings that either the southern or the northern kingdom ever had. Ahab was a truly wicked individual. He oppressed God's people, enslaved them, um, tortured, beaten, and, uh, and even uh, persecuted to the point of death God's prophets. Um, he bowed down in pagan worship and, and worshipped gods that were not the God, even to the point of sacrificing his own living children. In fact, records show, and we believe that he would uh, take one of his living children and, and bury them alive at the base of the walls in the fortresses or the cities that he was building up and sacrificing his children under the, the foundation for the wall in this way was to bring the pagan god's blessing to that city and to that building project. And so he was a, a horribly sadistic king. Um, but one of the uh, chief things that brought that to him and that wickedness to his life was a woman that he married named Jezebel. Jezebel was the daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and uh, Ahab married her to shore up a trade relationship between um, her father's nation and his to bring prosperity to Israel. But through that relationship, Jezebel brought great wickedness. In fact, later on in the book of First Kings, she begins gathering up and manipulating the prophets of God and massacring them uh, to the point where there's, we, we have a story about one guy who thinks he's literally the only person left that, that serves God that Jezebel has not killed in the nation because she has gone about so brutally slaughtering the people who were loyal to God and not loyal to her foreign idols. And so she brought all sorts of wickedness through this romantic marriage, this romantic relationship with Ahab. In fact, Jezebel's name now has maybe more cultural significance than it does historical significance. She doesn't play a huge part in the history books, but the name Jezebel pretty stirs up all of these things in us. Like we, we don't really know where that name comes from, but we know it's a bad thing, right, to be called a Jezebel or to be associated with that name. Jezebel represents someone who's masquerading as a servant of God, but is secretly deceiving and manipulating the people of God into idolatry. She represents sexual immorality and impurity, and so her name culturally now has big significance for negative realities in our world today. And the name Jezebel and the story of her uh, is a great representation of what can happen when we choose to be in unhealthy romantic relationships. When we choose to be in an unhealthy romantic relationship, it can destroy our lives and the lives of the people we encounter, quite literally in this case, destroyed the northern nation of Israel. And because of the potential that these unhealthy relationships have to destroy our lives and hurt the people around us, we need to learn how to identify when a romantic relationship is getting unhealthy, and then we need to talk about how to bring either a necessary ending to that behavior or a necessary ending to that relationship. So today we're going to spend the rest of our time focusing on a few signs that a romantic relationship may be unhealthy. We're going to look at some biblical principles and we're going to be applying them to both dating and marriage relationships. And we're going to be applying those things differently because to be honest with you, the Bible doesn't talk about dating because the word dating came up hundreds of years after the Bible was put together and canonized and, and was being used. And so the, the word dating doesn't come up in the teachings of Jesus, but he does teach a lot about marriage. And the principles that make a healthy marriage are the same ones that make make a healthy dating relationship, understanding that the commitment level between the two are differently, so those principles have to be applied differently to a dating relationship 
than they do a marriage relationship. So we're going to look at that. And my final disclaimer is when I'm talking about dating relationships, um, uh, we're talking about a, a, a guy and a gal who are romantically involved but are not having sex. And so if you want to talk to me about me being old-fashioned and that's ridiculous and uh, whatever, that's, that's fine. You can email me about it. And I'd, I guess I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, but when we're talking about dating relationships, we're talking about a couple who's romantically involved but not having sex because the implications of sex outside of marriage are a big thing that I'm not jumping into today. So let's start by looking at some of the widely accepted signs, both culturally and biblically, that a relationship might be unhealthy. The first sign of an unhealthy relationship is unfaithfulness. And one of the most destructive things that someone can do to a romantic relationship is be unfaithful to it sexually. Unfaithfulness in marriage is a direct attack on God's intentions and one of the only clear biblical justifications for divorce. Unfaithfulness in a dating relationship is a direct attack on another person who is created in the image of God. The Apostle Matthew, who walked around with Jesus and wrote down an eyewitness account of what Jesus said and did, wrote this when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. But I say a man who divorces his wife, and this could be uh, flip-flopped, right? A wife who divorces uh, her husband, unless he or she has been unfaithful, causes he or she to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced man or woman also commits adultery. Adultery. Matthew recorded this later on in Matthew 19.9. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his husband or wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Unless his or her wife or husband has been unfaithful. At the time, the, the offense of adultery was not just punishable by divorce, but was also punishable by stoning someone to death. And in that culture, oftentimes it was the woman who would be stoned to death. So the, 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 the sanctity and the beauty of the marriage bed and, and defiling that marriage relationship through sexual unfaithfulness was taken very, very seriously all throughout the Bible, and is one of the very clear reasons that Jesus gives us that you can bring a necessary ending to a marriage relationship in the form of divorce, one of the only ones. Now, that being said, I have known couples throughout the years in ministry who one or both people have been sexually unfaithful to the marriage, and they have fought to reclaim their marriage and restore their relationship and have saved their marriage on the other side of adultery. And when I look at the teachings of Jesus, the overarching cry is that divorce, although in this case, is permissible, is always a last resort. That inside of the marriage relationship, that we need to do everything we can to restore and reclaim that relationship. So sometimes it's not about necessarily ending the relationship, but it's about bringing a necessary ending to behavior in the relationship, especially in the context of your marriage. And so I'm going to read this next part because it's really important. I don't want to mess it up, and I, I, I'm terrified of messing it up, so please hear this today. It's this. If you are here today and you are in the midst of an affair, then you need to bring a necessary ending to your secrets and to your hidden life. You need to confess your unfaithfulness and you may need to deal with the consequences of losing your marriage or the privilege of fighting to restore it. It is time to get honest and quit hiding. If you are married to somebody who is being sexually unfaithful to you, then let me tell you that Jesus gave you permission to bring a necessary ending to your marriage. But I also believe 
that he would encourage you to fight to reclaim and to restore your marriage if you're able. If you're in a dating relationship marked by unfaithfulness, and let me just give you permission to end it. Break up with them. You can get rid of them. If they're going to be unfaithful to you sexually while you're dating them, they sure as heck are planning to be sexually unfaithful to you when you get married to them. I'm going to say this clearly, and I'm going to say it twice, but your boyfriend or girlfriend are currently on their best behavior. They're only going to get worse when you marry them, right? It's just reality. You only get to see them a fraction of time right now anyway, and they're trying to be the best person they can be for you. If you're dating someone who's cheating on you, kick them to the curb. Okay, get rid of them. And if you're dating somebody who's showing signs that they might be unfaithful to you, it may also be time to evaluate and end that relationship. If he always has a side girl, right? I had a friend from high school. He always had the girl he was dating and the girl he was texting. We called her Plan B, right? Because inevitably that relationship would end and Plan B would always swoop in and a new girl would start texting, right? If he has that it's probably a pretty good sign that he might not be faithful. And that being said, I'm glad it's not online because that dude is very faithful to his wife today. But that was a clear sign that maybe he wouldn't be, right? If she is always like texting someone who she doesn't want you to see or if she's always reconnecting with ex-boyfriends on Facebook or on Instagram, guys, it might be a sign that she's not going to be faithful. If he or she is perfectly okay with their pornography habit or addiction, it might be a clear sign that that person doesn't intend to be faithful to you inside of marriage. Dating is a forecast for what you're going to receive once you marry that person. It may be time to bring that dating relationship to an end. The second sign that your romantic relationship is unhealthy is a clear difference in beliefs. If one of you follows Jesus and the other one doesn't, your relationship's just going to be difficult, whether you're dating or you're married. Paul talked about this in his letter to the Corinthians. When he applied this to the marriage relationship, it shows the second reason, biblical, the second and last biblical reason for getting a divorce. Um, but uh, it has less to do with getting a divorce and more to do with not preventing one. You'll, you'll see what I mean. It says this. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, then she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if, a husband, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? If you are married and there's a difference in beliefs, it is not a reason to get a divorce. It's not a reason to bring a necessary ending to your marriage. It is a reason to allow the other unbelieving person in your marriage to divorce you if that's what they desire. If they want out, it's a reason to allow them to go. Now, why, why is that? Well, one of the, one of the main reasons is, is because if you become a Christian, let's say you got married and, and neither of you were a follower of Jesus, but one of you becomes a follower of Jesus, there's all sorts of new necessary endings that have to come into your life. It might be the places that you go, the habits that you participate in, the people that you hang out with. You might need to bring a whole bunch of necessary endings to your life in order to change yourself and begin following Jesus. And if your husband or wife who's not a believer is not on board with that, it's going to be very difficult for them to live with the same convictions that you do because it's a silly to 
expect someone who's not a Christian to act like a Christian, right? Silly to expect someone who's not a follower of Jesus to act like a follower of Jesus. It's going to be super, super difficult for them. So though it's not a reason to get a divorce, it is a reason to not prevent one. If you're in a dating relationship and there's a difference in beliefs, like, guys, this should be a huge red flag for you. If you're in a dating relationship or you're pursuing a dating relationship, you should not enter a dating relationship with someone who's not a follower of Jesus if you are a follower of Jesus. Paul said this to us. He said, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God says, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So if you follow Jesus, you need to enter dating relationships only with other followers of Jesus. And if you think that comes across as a little old-fashioned or outdated, take a moment to consider the implications. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then you're saying, I'm submitting my will to the will of God. It's not just about Sunday mornings. I'm submitting to following Jesus wherever he's taking me. I'm submitting to following the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's not a partial thing. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's a whole life commitment. And it is going to be very difficult for you not to have a strained relationship with God and a strained relationship with someone else if you marry someone who's not pulling in the same direction as you. Because they will not live with the same convictions that you live with because of your faith in Jesus. Can you imagine Paul writing to people who were being hunted down and murdered, persecuted, crucified, burnt alive, who were Christians, and they're trying to get into a relationship with someone who doesn't share the same convictions? Can you imagine the arguments that you might have with that individual who you're preparing to marry who's not a Christian when now they're being hunted and people are trying to murder them because they're marrying you? Wow, what a, what a different world. But the implications are the same. If we're going to serve Jesus wholeheartedly, we have to marry somebody who also wants to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. The third unhealthy sign in a romantic relationship is physical, sexual, or mental abuse. And I'm hitting all the big ones, right? All the big ones. You were like coming for a Thanksgiving message, like lighthearted. Like, be thankful this week. And I just broke out the abuse word, right? This could be abuse targeting you or targeting your children. When it comes to the Bible and talking about marriage in the context of abuse, the Bible isn't terribly clear. You're not going to be able to pull out a piece of scripture that's going to say that abuse is clear grounds for divorce. It is not in there. That being said, there's lots of references for why abuse of a spouse or abuse of children is absolutely wrong. One amongst many is that Jesus said that we are to love one another as he loved us us. And if you think about it, if Jesus loved us enough to give his life up for us, if Jesus loved his church that much, Jesus did not love us in an abusive way. No, but Jesus loved us selflessly and and without reservation. And so when we look, we know that abuse is wrong. So what does that mean? That means that in a marriage relationship where abuse is happening, please, please, please separate yourself from the abuser. The abuse is not going to quit until you put a necessary ending to the context in which the abuse is happening. Forgiving and forgetting over and over again is giving permission for the abuser to continue to abuse you. Until the abuser has to deal with the consequences of their decisions, they're not going to stop because you have their problems They don't have their problems. And people don't change normally unless they have to deal with their problems. You need to put a necessary ending to the abuse. And that means separation 
from the abuser, either for you or for your children. Listen, if you're in a situation where you were abused and you were divorced, I'm not trying to judge you. I think you can make a clear biblical justification for separating permanently from someone who's an abuser. But just like in the case of adultery, when we get married to someone, we're bound with them for life. And our desire should be and needs to be to restore and reclaim the relationship. So even in the context of abuse, the goal should be to separate from the abuser with the desire to restore and reclaim the relationship if we can. And sometimes you can't. If you're in an abusive dating relationship, then let me tell you, get out. Like, stop listening to me right now. If your boyfriend's hitting you, your girlfriend's abusing you, stop listening to me and text them to break up with them. They don't deserve a face-to-face confrontation. Just break up with them over text right now. You're done with them. You don't even need a FaceTime with them. Get rid of them. They're done. Yeah, thank you. You can clap for that because there's someone in here who's being abused by their boyfriend or their girlfriend right now. Okay, let me tell you, if they're abusing you now, it's not going to get better if you marry them. Run away from them. There is something mystical about the wedding ceremony, but there is nothing magical that changes someone's behavior. There is something mystical about the wedding ceremony. There is nothing magical that changes their behavior. If they're abusive now, they will be abusive later. Ladies, if your boyfriend threatens you, if he scares you when he gets angry, if he loses his mind, if he screams at you, if he calls you names and then apologizes and promises that he will never, ever do it again, then it's time for a necessary ending. Get rid of him. He's a child. He might have issues. He could have a terrible past. He might tell you if you leave him, he's going to hurt himself or kill himself. You might feel really bad for him, but you need to get away from him. Abuse or signs of abuse inside of a dating relationship is not just a sign that your relationship is unhealthy. It's clear and immediate grounds to end the relationship. Get rid of them. The fourth sign you're in an unhealthy romantic relationship is a lack of respect and love. Love and respect are the keys to making any romantic relationship, both inside and outside of marriage, work. And Paul said that clearly to the church in Ephesus when he wrote. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but uh, it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Love and respect are the foundation for every healthy romantic relationship. Paul outlined here that it's necessary for a man to feel respected and a woman to feel loved. And we know that that is true and very important. But we also know that inside of a romantic relationship, love and respect are both important to both parties. And when love and respect are absent from a marriage relationship, we call it the crazy cycle. Which comes from a teaching by the series Love and Respect. And When we enter the crazy cycle, it says this. I am not going to love her because she's not respecting me. And because he doesn't show me love, I don't have to show him respect. And you can see why it's called the crazy cycle, because it's crazy. It's crazy. It's never going to end. If you continue in that mindset, you're never going to get out of it. Let me be clear. The crazy cycle is not a reason to get a divorce. It's not. Can't get a divorce because of the crazy cycle. It is the reason a lot of marriages end in divorce, but it is not a reason to get a divorce. When you realize that you're in the crazy cycle, the necessary ending is not to the relationship, it's to your behavior. You have to bring a necessary ending to that crazy cycle by doing whatever it takes to bring love and respect back to your marriage. When you're dating someone who does not love or respect you, then you might need to bring an end to that relationship. I'm not saying for sure that you do, but if that's what you're running into, then it might be time to break up with that person. 
Seek wise counsel. Talk to people who would be able to speak into your life in a powerful way. Do whatever you can. Have the tough conversations to salvage that relationship. But just know that if you are dating somebody, you're getting a forecast for the way they're going to treat you when you're married to them. And if they don't love and respect you now, without a significant change in their heart or in their beliefs, they're not going to love and respect you when you're married to them. Once again, nothing magical happens during your wedding ceremony that changes somebody. So I'm not saying it needs to end, but you need to do an evaluation. If love and respect are absent from your dating relationship, it may be time to bring a necessary ending to that dating relationship. Finally, our last sign you might be in an unhealthy romantic relationship is a difference in life goals. Now, this one isn't so much based on the Bible. It's just some reality, and it's one of the reasons many people get divorced that you absolutely are not allowed to get divorced for. So, for example, one of you wants kids, the other one doesn't. One of you wants to move to a warmer place. One of you wants to spend uh, and live uh, close to your family where there's ice storms and you lose power for three or four days at a shot. Um, you can think of any of the potential problems that might come up in this area where you have a significant incompatibility when it comes to life goals. If you're married, a difference in life goals is not a reason to get divorced. It is a reason many people selfishly get divorced, but it is not a reason to get divorced. It is a sign that your marriage may be unhealthy, but not a reason for divorce. You might need to find a necessary ending to your own dreams and desires to submit and serve your husband or wife. You might need to bring a necessary ending to your selfishness and your pride, which is the root of a lot of divorces. There's probably a necessary ending that you need to bring to behaviors or something inside yourself in order to help your marriage thrive and to work and to be a blessing to one another. Listen, if you're married, guess what you get to do every day? You get to wake up and bring a necessary ending to your selfishness every single day. It's all you get to do. You don't get to wake up in the morning and be selfish. doesn't mean that we're not. But when you marry somebody, you're committing to serving and loving and respecting that person forever. And the only way you get to do that is if you wake up each morning and put a necessary ending to your own selfishness. If you're in a dating relationship with someone who has different life goals than you, listen, this, might, this could be a reason to, to break up with them. I'm not saying that it is. You don't need to have the exact same dreams. Like, it doesn't have to be the exact same. But they better be compatible, right? If one of you wants to live in New York City and the other one wants to live in L.A., it's going to be hard to be compatible in that scenario, right? Girls, just because he doesn't want kids now, don't believe that he's going to want kids when you marry him. He might not. Guys, just because you gave up your dream of being a famous musician doesn't mean that she will once you marry her. If you have a significant difference in compatibilities, it's okay to end a dating relationship, even with someone that you like a lot. There'll be lots of other people that you can like a lot, lots of other people you click with and are great and they're fun and like having good conversations with them. They're really cute. There's lots of people like that in the world. If there's a significant difference in what you want out of life, listen, and then you marry that person, you're setting yourself up for a miserable and difficult marriage. This is why premarital counseling is so important, because you get the chance to iron some of these things out and figure out if your lives together are actually compatible more than just really, really liking each other and wanting to get married to one another. If you have significant incompatibilities in your dating relationship with the future, it may be a reason to end the relationship. Which brings us to our next step this week. This week's next step is I will end unhealthy or nurture healthy romantic relationships this week. There may be many other signs to indicate that your relationship is unhealthy. Uh, to name a few, lack of communication, a lack of intimacy, neglect. Um, we didn't touch on those today. There's lots of other signs that may show that 
you have an unhealthy romantic relationship. The key is, is that romantic relationships are a blessing to us until they're not. And when romantic relationships become unhealthy, they can derail our lives and poison and damage the people that we love around us and the people that we encounter. So when we see signs that our romantic relationship is becoming unhealthy, we need to either bring the behavior that's responsible for that to a necessary ending, or in some cases, rare cases, we need to bring a necessary ending to the relationship altogether. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I know that this is a hard message to hear. I know that there's a lot in it. I know that for some people in this room, man, it's just difficult. And if there's people in this room who are coming from abusive relationships, I pray they'll seek and get help today. They'll come up and talk to us. They'll pull us aside that we'll talk. If there's people in here that have been divorced and, and maybe it wasn't for any of the reasons that I gave and they're feeling really guilty today, God, I pray that you would just speak love and truth and life into them, God, that you would just meet them where they are and that you would just comfort them, Father. Um, I, I don't intend to be condemning or, or to be hateful or to, or, or to heap guilt on people because you've given us freedom, Lord, from our past and from our whole lives. And I just pray, God, that you would help people be redeemed in this place. And I pray, God, that you would help each of us search ourselves and bring necessary endings to the selfish behaviors that each one of us has that are damaging or hurting or making unhealthy our romantic relationships. In your name we pray. Amen.